1: The Athletic.
2: Ladies and gentlemen.
3: Let's get it started in here. It's
2: 2004. And I'm feeling very smug because I've just got my hands on a Blackberry and I can now send emails from my phone. What a world. Anyway, it's June, it's sunny, and we're in Portugal for Euro 2004.
4: Baby, can't you see? I'm
2: Not only are they the hosts but they're one of the favourites too. They've got the master, Luis Figo, and the apprentice, a teenage Cristiano Ronaldo, a World Cup winning manager and Brazilian Luis Felipe Scalari, and half the Porto team that just won the Champions League under Jose Mourinho. It's four groups of four, top two go through, and then it's knockout football all the way. So let's take a look at Portugal and the rest of Group A. Now, if there's one thing that everyone can agree on, it's that Greece will go out first. They're a team without stars, without pedigree, and quite clearly, without a chance, for at least six minutes.
1: So playing against the horse nation with the eyes of the world on you was a perfect occasion, perfect occasion.
2: Demis Kassaris is a managing editor at Sport24 in Greece.
1: I'm convinced that the Portuguese weren't weren't prepared for what was about to, to come. The pressure high up the pitch, they lost the ball about three or four times in the opening ten minutes of the game. And then Karaguni scored that uh, belter.
5: the
4: Portugal! What on earth went wrong? That was a, you know, a bit of a rude awakening. there has been so much build-up to this tournament. You know, the first real victory for Portugal at Euro two thousand and four had been five years earlier when they were awarded the tournament.
2: Tom Candert is the creator of Portugal.
4: From that time, nineteen ninety nine to two thousand and four, all uh, stadiums had been revamped, uh, four or five of them had been completely built from scratch. You know, there'd been so much talk. Uh, Scolari was had been contracted, you know, as the highest ever paid Portugal coach and, you know, just won the World Cup. Two thousand, Euro two thousand, Portugal had played so well. There was so much optimism going into this. And then that Greece game where it all fell flat and, you know, Portugal just didn't do it themselves justice.
2: Spain are still four years away from pulling themselves together, but they do the business against Russia and they can secure qualification if they beat Greece. But they can't. It's 1-1. What is going on?
1: Why are Greece so hard to beat? We proposed... Uh... A problem to the opposition that they, they didn't remember how to solve it. Nobody man-marked that, those days, right? Yes, man-to-man marking was a thing of the past that was never bound to come back again. So we were a defensive side, but uh, Rehagel liked to man-mark. He didn't uh, he didn't feel that it was embarrassing to do so. For example, when we played versus Spain, It was one of the teams that we faced that they played with two strikers up front. They played with Raul and Morientes. uh, Whereas Portugal played with a sole striker uh, at the top. So he said, okay, Catsuranis is going to mark uh, Morientes, and Capsis is going to mark Raul, and uh, Velas will be a libero. And that's the way way we're going to set up. And uh, we did that with every team that played with two strikers up front. And the opposition seems to seem to not know how to solve this enigma.
2: Portugal have no room for manoeuvre now. They simply have to beat Russia. The pressure is intense. But in Scalari, they have a manager who eats
4: pressure for breakfast. There's always so much politics surrounding the Celassan, the, the national team, with the three big clubs, you know, Porto and... Uh, and Benfica and Sporting and the, the, the fans kind of, you know, insisting that there should be the players who were who were picked. And Scolari just came in and, as an outsider, he was kind of just, just did just ignored that really, and that that didn't kind of pursue him at all. So that I think that was important. He came into Portugal, gave a, a kind of different attitude, picked players on merit, generally I think, or at least you know, club issues didn't come into it.
2: And they beat Russia 2-0, all of which leaves Group A on a knife edge. Greece have four points, Portugal and Spain have three, and then Greece lose to Russia?
1: That was a nightmare. That was our older generations, my dad's generation. That was their game because they always uh, said to us, you know what, Greece will never do anything <laughs> to make us proud in football. And we always find a way to mess it up and stuff like that. And all this- this negativity. And all of a sudden, when we were the underdogs, we were brilliant. But now we had something to play for versus a team that was uh, essentially out of the competition. And it, it all went to very badly from the beginning. And actually it, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. It could it could have been 3-0 before uh, halftime. And then I'm not sure it would be a way back. But luckily, we managed to to score, and then we had to, you know, to pray and think and uh, believe that something is going to work out in the game between Spain and Portugal, and we're going to be through after all.
2: It's going to be tight. Just a single point will put Spain through instead, but they waste chance after chance after chance. Nuno Gomes doesn't know.
4: I think that was the key game, you can say, of this whole tournament. Portugal had. Had lost that they were out. If they drew it, they they could also have been out. But uh, yeah, played really well. Tight game. A fantastic goal to to win it. Uh, you know, good combination between Inglegomes and uh, and Figo. And yeah, Portugal held on. Had a little bit of luck towards the end. Spain hit the woodwork once, maybe twice in the, in the last few minutes. But. Portugal held on and then that just signalled what became a little bit of a ritual maybe after that game there was just a huge party everyone just poured out onto the streets.
2: Portugal and Greece go through so let's check out Group B because it is a stinker. England, France, Switzerland and Croatia. Now England who we last saw muffing up Euro 2000 with Kevin Keegan And now under the management of Svenjaer and Eriksson. Stop me if you've heard this before, but they've got a golden generation. Mind you, that sort of thing can bring its own problems.
3: The big conundrum was about playing Gerrard and Lampard together. And that, I think, was the big question that emerged after this tournament.
2: Lindsay Hooper is an English football reporter and part of the Totally Football Show.
3: Gary Neville and Steven Gerrard, they'd actually missed the 2002 World Cup, but they were back for this. They were talking really big names. Wayne Rooney had been on the international scene for just over a year and a half, but this was the tournament that announced him majorly onto the scene. I think Sven Joran Eriksson was secretly rubbing his hands together with this one.
2: But they're in the same group as France, who have a lot of making up to do after crashing out of the 2002 World Cup in the group stages. After Croatia and Switzerland's bad-tempered goalless draw, the two group favourites meet and
3: It was a brilliant start. And you know what? We're not we're not adverse to doing this. We start games well in major tournaments. So Lampard heads in Beckham's free kick against France. And straight away the whole nation's mood lifts. I remember watching this. I just recently graduated. I remember thinking, right, this is a summer I can devote all my attention to England's progress in this tournament. And I just felt this hope. It was Wayne Rooney as well, starting off very well. So he went on this great run, which actually won us a penalty, but David Beckham unfortunately had that kick saved because Fabian Bartes, who was his Manchester United teammate, probably knew only too well just what Beckham was gonna do and made that save. Um, He wasn't great at penalties in this tournament, I have to say.
2: Yes, more on that later.
3: In the 90th minute, Heskey concedes this free kick and of all the people, one of my favourite players ever, Zinedine Zidane, curled into the bottom corner. David James got nowhere near it. And then there's a few more minutes left and we end up losing.
4: The important thing is we mustn't lose this game. Oh!
6: And here's Henri. He's been brought down by James. It has to be a penalty. It It has to be a penalty.
7: Who will be the hero? Zinedine Zidane or David James?
3: And you think, well, this is the conversation of the tournament, isn't it? This is typical England. We start well, we can't hold on. And we've gone on what looked like was going to be three points reduced to one point. We now come away with nothing.
5: It was a great finale of the game, of course. And I was happy that Zidane did what he did and that France didn't lose that game. Also because then the crisis would have been unbearable.
2: Julien Laron is a French football writer and part of the totally football show.
5: If France had lost that game, not that the race was much better after that anyway, but had they lost that game, like they lost the first game of the 2002 World Cup against Senegal, and no offence to England, they're slightly better than Senegal at the time, but it would still have been a catast- you know, catastrophic really. So I was happy, but part of me was like, you see, I told you, I told you to be wary of the English. England
2: must set the record straight against Switzerland. Fortunately, the youngest member of the team is keen to make his mark.
3: This is the time when everyone goes, Wayne Rooney, he is going to be a world beater. It's this game that puts him on the map, certainly on the international stage. Uh, Michael Owen, um, he produced the cross. We were used to him seeing him on the end of chances, but it was actually Rooney getting on the end of his cross and a header from close range that put us in front.
1: Gerald was taken down by Celestini. Beckham has
6: coached the ball into the path of Michael Owen, who has space. It's Owen. Lifted in. Rooney! player ever to score at the European Championship Finals.
3: But he only had that record for four days however we can still wax lyrical about him because he scored another one in this it wasn't as one-sided i don't think as we thought switzerland got uh, reduced to 10 men in the second half and burnt haas got a red card rooney did manage to score and then Ger- Gerard made up for that earlier mistake in, against france and he got a third goal i think it did flatter england slightly 3-0 we definitely deserved to win it and rooney was the player of this match But maybe the the warning signs were there not to get too carried away. Pah!
2: We are English. We laugh in the face of warning signs. And speaking of which, France looked to have it all their own way against Croatia, taking an early lead through an Igor Tudor own goal. But then, and stop me if you've heard this before, they get complacent.
5: Yes, that's strange. That is strange what you're saying. Us complacent uh, in in a football match? And yet once, you know, once, once you start winning in a game like this against, against Croatia after, after winning that first game against England, the way we did, this, this should have been a no-brainer in the sense that we sh- it's a game we should have seen out really. And, and yet we found ourselves again from one nil up to 2-1 down. And you're thinking, how? How is that even, even possible?
2: France are comfortable winners in their final game against Switzerland, which means England against Croatia is essentially winner goes through and Croatia take the lead. So hands up who thought this was the beginning of the end for England?
3: Every England fan probably did, if they're being honest, because we were just used to this disappointment. And then out of nowhere, this result comes. And suddenly, because we go on to win 4-2, Wayne Rooney gets two goals in this game and one of them extremely well taken. We've got Paul Scholes scoring in this fixture. He hadn't got a goal for three years in international football. Lampard's wrapping it up and we are thinking we can win this Euro Championship. I certainly was thinking that at this point because 4-2 it made it made a statement. We've got um, Sven Jor and Eriksson afterwards as well talking about Rooney in terms of Pelé and the fact that, you know, the way that Pelé announced himself in 1958 at that World Cup, that Rooney was now the equivalent of that. I think we all got hyped up, we all got wrapped up in it and, and I, I just thought that's it now. I think we can beat Portugal in the quarters. France
2: and England progress. Let's take a look at Group C with Denmark, Sweden, Bulgaria and Italy who haven't exactly kicked on after reaching the final in 2000. Giovanni Trappatoni as the manager now.
8: Trapp is all-conquering
2: as a coach. James Horncastle is the Athletics' Italian correspondent.
8: Even though by this time he's beginning to enter the twilight of his, his managerial career, which of course would extend to other European championships with other countries like the Republic of Ireland. But this is a man who was famous for, for playing for, for Milan, marked Pele out of a game... He then becomes coach of Juventus, wins everything there is to win uh, with Juventus, sets a record points total in, uh, in Serie A with Inter, one of the uh, all-time greats of Italian coaching. I uh, Loved his holy water as well. We saw him in, in this tournament kind of sprinkling it around to try and bring some, bring some luck his way, and uh, they needed it, Italy.
2: Italy draw 0-0 with Denmark and trap. Has Totty trouble.
8: The day in his life, not just in his career as a footballer, he's most ashamed of. He didn't actually recall doing it in the moment, but he turned and spat at Christian Paulson. And while he, upon seeing the video of it, uh, could deny it, uh, couldn't explain it, and was deeply sorry for it, Totty still to this day cannot stand Christian Paulson. He had to then attend a hearing in Lisbon where he was defended by Giulio Bongiorno, uh, who had uh, famously defended the uh, Prime Minister and uh, former President of the country Giulio Andreotti. Uh, The Mayor of Rome also sent a letter to the hearing uh, saying that Totti is a good boy, please don't punish him. But punished him, uh, they did, with a two-match ban which effectively ended his tournament.
2: Elsewhere, Bulgaria's clash with Sweden looks pretty close, right up until the moment when it isn't. Sweden went 5-0. Oh,
6: oh, 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 oh.
2: And Denmark, who you may recall followed up their 92 triumph by failing to get out of the group stages in 96 and 2000, are making up for lost time. They beat poor old Bulgaria 2-0. But what of Italy? Can they get their tournament going against Sweden? Well, they take a first half lead, and then Trapattoni tries to shut the game down.
8: Trapattoni knew, uh, as he was making them, that if this went wrong, his substitutions would be held against him, and they were. But ultimately, he felt that his team had enough to win that game. But it, it looked to be going okay, that game, against the Swedes in Porto. Because even though Totti wasn't there, they had a young Antonio Cassano who looked like he was going to become a star of the tournament, but instead his star was eclipsed by another one of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, showing that as a boy he practiced taekwondo, he's now a black belt and he can score goals that just defy, well, certainly most people's mobility in scoring, what, a very late equaliser that really put Italy up against
2: it. That meant that Italy had to beat Bulgaria and, They had to hope that whatever else happened, Sweden didn't draw 2 all with Denmark. And you will never guess what happened.
8: Well, late uh, in the Sweden-Denmark game, there's an equaliser. And guess what? It's 2-2. Who would have thought it? Uh, This game in Italy is known as a biscotto. Uh, Basically, uh, there was the suspicion uh, that the Swedes and Danes had come to some clandestine arrangement, whereby they would play out the draw to the scoreline that they needed in order to, to knock out Italy.
2: Sweden and Denmark go through. Italy are out and we move to Group D. For the Czech Republic, Latvia, Germany and the Netherlands. And eight years after their shock run to the final of this competition, the Czech Republic are, if anything, even better now. They've got the magnificent Pavel Nedved and the frankly terrifying Jan Koller, and their first game pits them against Latvia, who take the lead just before half-time.
7: That was a tough moment, but the team showed real character and turned it around, thanks to Baroš, who was not playing good in that game. David Czermak
2: is a Czech football writer.
7: But he scored an incredibly important equaliser, and then Marek Heinz, the substitute, scored a decisive goal in the end, and... So the job was done, but it was not an easy one. And maybe the game raised some doubts amongst the fans. But for the team, it was very important that they turned it around. It brought confidence.
2: Our last two teams are two of our most historically successful teams. But for Germany and the Netherlands, 2004 isn't a great vintage.
9: The Netherlands against Germany, always a big match, always a derby match, you know, because of history. Elko
2: Born is a Dutch football writer.
9: It's always a big match for the players and the fans as well. So even though the game itself might have been on the boring side with the Dutch being quite withdrawn, being quite defensive, not feeling as confident as they were in, in Euro, during Euro 2000, uh, being aware of the fact, I think, that they didn't have much, as much quality in the squad as four years ago and maybe not as much quality as the Germans had. They were just uh, playing on the defensive side. And I think in the end were quite happy with their 1-1 draw. I think people were pretty expectant
10: of them. I mean, 2002 had been a success against all the odds.
2: Raphael Honigstein is the Athletics' German football writer.
10: But 2004, I don't think they were seen as favourites, but they were seen as a team that you know should have a decent opportunity to, to do something, as German teams tend to do. But of course, it didn't work out like that. Even though the start, a game that I attended against the Netherlands in Porto, actually suggested that, yes, this Germany could could hold their own. There was a typical Germany game at the time where they had already realized, even though this wasn't really perhaps spoken about out in the open, but they'd realized that they couldn't really go toe-to-toe with the big footballing nations anymore, with the likes of France, uh, certainly not the Netherlands, so the idea in those big games was just to be solid, maybe sneak a win somehow, and frustrate the opposition.
2: Germany and the Netherlands cancel each other out, and with Latvia up next, it's a great chance for Germany to shake off the malaise and get themselves into
10: gear, isn't it? It's a terrible game, and I just saw um, Bill's headline before the game, They were in a very jubilant mood after the Netherlands draw and their line was jetzt plätten wir die Letten which rhymes beautifully. Um, Letten is is the Latvians and plätten is to to flatten them. Let's flat the lats, if you will. They weren't flattened. They held out for a nil-nil draw where nothing happened. Germany struggled to create anything meaningful at all. Looking back at the team, you kind of understand why, because it's a team of two strikers, four central midfielders and almost no width.
2: Elsewhere, the Dutch make a fantastic start against the Czech Republic. The
9: Netherlands do start very well. Much better than they played against uh, Germany, I think. Much more attacking, uh, to say the least. And especially Arjen Robben, who just got, made a, a transfer to Chelsea at the time, just played such an amazing game. He was really on fire, Arjen Robben. And yeah, before you know it, uh, the Netherlands were 2-0 up. And then... But at some point around the 60th minute, Dick Advokat, the manager, takes Robin off. It was Andy van der Meijden who played as well, who recently said in an interview that he saw that there was a, a substitution to be made and that he already was walking towards his dugout thinking he was going to be taken off. But then he looked up and he saw that it was actually Robin who was going for definitely going for man of the match here that actually Robin was being taken off for a relatively boring if i may say so defensively minded midfielder i think it was one of the weirdest things i've ever seen why take off the absolute man of the match and you could just tell that after that substitution without Robin, suddenly I think uh, the Czech Republic saw that there was an opportunity to take over, to take over initiative of the match, and they did. And they kept attacking, and yeah, they managed to score the winner in the end.
7: <laughs> that for me is still the best football game I have ever seen. And I don't think I will ever see a one. This was just amazing. Imagine you are 17, you sit in front of the TV, watch your team losing by two goals very soon in the game and thinking, Oh, maybe this one is over. And then the manager makes a substitution. And suddenly, uh, you see your team only defending with two players. All the others were attacking like crazy. So it was just, just great to, to watch that. The game was just, uh, it's difficult for me to talk about it because it was really, really amazing. And I still don't get how there were only five goals in this game. It was chance after chance. It had everything. What I remember the most is maybe the equalizer from Milan Baroš, because it was a great strike into the top corner and the commentator, the Czech commentator just screamed YABADABADOO. It was such an incredible
2: comeback that unfortunately the commentator's mic seemed to break in all the excitement. But you know, you can fill in the blanks. The Dutch make short work of Latvia in their final game, winning 3 0 in Braga, which means that Germany just have to beat the Czech Republic reserve team to qualify.
10: And what happens? What happens is that once again, Germany lose. And they lose because they're disorganized, they lose because they have very few ideas, they don't really work as a team together. And they have, again, no real individual quality. I mean, the That's perhaps a little bit harsh because there are good players in the side. There's a Balak, there's a Torsten Frinks, there's a Schneider. These are decent players, but 2004 and before that is lit up by individualists, you know, by, like, by Zidane and Robin and all these kind of guys, Wayne Rooney. Germany doesn't produce these players at the time. And I think it's only when they get knocked out for their second consecutive Euro is not winning a single game, do they realise this is maybe not just down to a lack of patriotism or commitment or problems with Michael Balak being too arrogant or, or the coach making the wrong decisions and, and Rudi Föller, this, this goes a lot deeper. So I think in that respect, U2004 is actually quite helpful, but of course it feels pretty painful at the time. So Germany go home, the Czech Republic and the Netherlands go
2: through. And up next, it's the knockout stages where anything can happen.
6: This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's
2: 2004. It's the European Championships. And England are actually quite good. This is their golden generation, remember? It's Beckham and Terry and Gerrard and Lampard and Rooney and Owen and Scholes crowbarred in as a left winger. And they are very much in their groove. Michael Owen scores after just three
3: minutes. Euphoria when that goal went in because it was so early on. And all my eyes early on in that game were on Luis Figo because he was the big player to watch with Portugal. But very quickly, I thought that England's performance and England's passing, it just took away from portugal i was just watching england and i know we do that as an england fan anyway but sussing out the opposition i actually thought well they're here for the taking and that early goal um really got fans expectations up
2: but then disaster
3: <sighs> that was it because everybody had just put all the weight of their expectations on this young 18 year old wayne rooney and suddenly he's the one limping off and it feels like our chances of another trophy at a tournament are limping off with him.
4: I don't think
2: Rooney
5: can continue. Are England going to lose? The 18-year-old who has set this tournament alight.
3: You know what? Credit to the team because they did rally when he went off. But I do think that was fundamental in the decline in this game. I remember in that stadium, lots
4: of the England chants. I remember one of them saying, you're supposed to be at home. <laughs> uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, goading a little bit the Portuguese fans because they were making so much noise. Elder Pustiga, of all people who'd had an absolutely atrocious season at Tottenham Hotspur, managed to head in that equaliser just before the end Uh, you could really tell who the home team was and then even more so when Rui uh, Rui Costa scored that absolute belter of a goal uh, which looked like it given Portugal uh, you know the victory brilliant atmosphere at that game then of course so much drama because England uh, you know fought right to the end got the equaliser themselves just at the end of extra time.
2: Yes, and so once again to penalties and up steps David Beckham.
3: He missed, didn't he, with quite some aplomb. I mean, David Beckham taking that penalty first, I know that he's doing that because he's captain, but every England fan is thinking, don't be the first one to do this, not after what happened earlier on in the tournament.
1: Oh, David Beckham, he did exactly the same thing in Turkey. It's a truly terrible penalty.
3: And that's it. I I actually shouted. That's it. It's over. It's over already. Rui Costa misses two, but when Portugal's
2: goalkeeper saves Darius Vassel's penalty.
1: Here goes Vassell. Oh and Ricardo saved it.
2: He decides that enough is enough and steps up to end the shootout himself.
4: Ricardo, the Portuguese goalkeeper, who took famously took off his gloves in an attempt, and a successful attempt to you know, swayed the concentration of uh, Darius Vassell and uh, he managed to save that penalty with no gloves. And then he himself insisted on taking the next penalty, uh, which turned out to be the winning penalty. And it was absolutely perfect. If you had, have a look at those uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 or 14 penalties or whatever it was, I'd say that was the best one. Just arrowed it right in the bottom corner. Absolutely no chance for, for James to save it.
1: And it's going to be the Ricardo himself. How about
4: this? There's to put Portugal in the semi-final. <laughs> goalkeeper beats goalkeeper!
2: England are out on penalties again.
6: your mate. I know it's hard to take, but her mind has been made up.
2: Over in Lisbon, rank outsiders Greece are up against the reigning champions, France. So this won't take long, will it?
1: No. It's all wrapped up in 90 minutes. And it was a magnificent game. Maybe our best game in the tournament. We were actually pretty good in the first half too. And we had the better chances to open the score. And uh, eventually we were out you know, as the better team because we defeated them and we were better at the day. And the, the image that, that sums the whole game up was Zidane with the ball and Karagounis winning the duel and then forcing Zidane to foul him and to be yellow carded and that was the the image of the game, one of the best players in the world, not being able to uh, to dribble his opponent and then being forced to foul him, to tackle him and to receive a yellow card uh, for it. Of course there was drama at the end of the game because France gave it all up to, to equalize but overall if you watch the game we were the better team that day
5: there's a feeling that they maybe should not have been there, and certainly there's a feeling that we are much better than them. There's no way we don't we don't win this one. It's pretty much the strongest eleven from what Santini had done before. De Sailly doesn't play that game, but apart from him, which you could you could always debate if it was right or wrong, he was already on the way down massively. But apart from that, this is you know this is still so good. again Henry up front, Zidane, Pires, and this is the good Robert Pires from. From Arsenal, Makelélé in midfield, at the back you still have Lizarazu and Turam and go. So this is a team that should work on them, and yet it's, it's it's a game where nothing works, and then you end up conceding in the second half, where you knew already at nil nil at half time that it was not looking good really because we were not creating anything.
2: France are out, but there's redemption for the Dutch. After the living anxiety dream that was their penalty miss against Italy in 2000.
9: No, 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 no,
2: no, no, no. Sweet relief in 2004.
9: Okay, we've got penalties again. Against Sweden. And I know that a lot of other teams and countries sometimes talk about their penalty trauma. Uh, England, uh, you hear it being said about England every now and then, that they're not very good at penalties and it's always, always this thing psychologically as well for uh, english players maybe and english fans but for the netherlands in 2004 this was definitely the case as well Penalty shoot out coming up and after those losses in 2000 especially in the semi final against italy people were people were really afraid that uh, we were going to mess things up uh, yet again
2: but they were just fine they won 5-4 Later in Porto, the big man, little man combination of Kala and Baros pays dividends for the Czech Republic against Denmark.
7: This was the only match that actually seemed easy and wasn't very dramatic for us. Denmark, they didn't have many chances and from the first minute I thought that we we are just going to win this. There was such an energy in the team and yeah, it's difficult to describe. Maybe during this game I started to believe that we can win the whole tournament. It just seemed nobody can Beat us. We were that strong. The first semi-final sees the hosts Portugal against
2: Dick Advocat's Netherlands, and they're not the best Netherlands.
9: This Netherlands team is not as good as the team in during Euro 2000. Sort of, we're in a transition, transitional phase here. It's not quite the, the old team of the 90s who played really well in the World Cup in 98 and Euro 2000 as well sort of half a new team, half the old guard. It was a weird time, to be honest, the 2004 uh, uh, Netherlands team. And the the feeling was generally that this Portugal side is probably better. They probably have more quality. They probably have more of a chance to win this tournament. Yep, he's not wrong. Portugal
2: dominate the Dutch and Cristiano Ronaldo makes his mark on the international scene.
4: He was 18 at this time. You know, it was actually, he wasn't even a regular for Portugal before this tournament. You know, this is the tournament which made him a regular and then he was a regular ever since. And uh, yeah, you know, su- super uh, header for that goal. Uh, and yeah, brilliant, brilliant tournament by him. You know, it's really the tournament where he, he burst onto the scene and where people started saying, you know, this is not only... You know, a player in the traditions of Luis Figo and Rui Costa is going, to be, is going to be talked about for, for a long time. He's going to have a great career. Perhaps this player will, you know, even surpass that. And uh, yeah, it certainly uh, came to pass.
1: And Cristiano Ronaldo heads Portugal quite simply into the lead.
2: So, who's in the other semi-final? Where a Czech Republic against Greece is a word, is a word that you heard, it's got groove, it's got meaning, Greece is a time, is a place, is the motion, and Greece is the way we are feeling. So uh, yeah, it's the uh, Czech Republic against Greece. And Greece are well up for this.
7: Yeah, they were very physical, but you know, I think the team should have been prepared for that. And if I look back on this game, it still hurts, because to be honest, when I realized that we are playing Greece in the semifinals, I was 100% sure that we have to beat them. So was almost everybody, but for the first time in my life, I decided to go and watch the game on the large screen at Staroměstské náměstí, which is a huge square in Prague. I came there with my friends, we got flags and we got Czech shirts and we were ready to celebrate, but as the time was running, we were more and more nervous because the team had some chances early in the first half, but when Nedved was injured and then he had to go off, the game suddenly became very even and everything changed. Jan Koller had a huge chance in the end of the regular time, but he missed. And from then on, you could feel how nervous the team was. They started to be afraid of losing, I would say. And that was the beginning of an end. In the overtime, Greeks were the better team, and when Delas scored a silver goal, In the last minute of the first part of the overtime, there was simply no time to react. Overall, in the tournament, they were brilliant and they were were never
1: forced to think of something different as a plan B or as a uh, tactical substitution or uh, or anything like that. So they had to stick to the game plan, but without their best player. And even though Greece didn't have their best game that night, they, def- they kept defending really really well and uh, when we forced the game to go to overtime it was uh, uh, effectively uh, over for them because it was then we attacked and managed to to, to win the
5: game
6: <laughs>
2: And so the last game of Euro 2004 is the same as the first game of Euro 2004. It's Portugal, with their home advantage and their galaxy of stars, against Greece, with man-to-man marking and near post corners.
4: The build-up to this game was just absolutely unbelievable. Portugal's training camp was on the other side of the River Tagus, so it's about 20 miles outside Lisbon, and you have to go across a really long bridge, Vasco da Gama Bridge, make their way to the stadium and all that journey was just absolutely incredible. There was there was a whole kind of fleet of, of ships and fishing boats and and all along the road, literally. It was about ten people deep all the way along the road, from coming into Lisbon to arriving on the stadium, maybe six, seven, eight kilometre stretch. Just everyone was out on the streets, everyone was waving flags. You know, just the whole country seemed to be in in party mode. It was just, it was going to be the greatest day in Portugal's football history. And then, yeah, uh, just a a big lead balloon.
2: What? But it's Greece. You've played them once already. You should be thinking it's them again. We know how to do it now.
1: Yes, but at the same time, we're thinking it's them again and we know how to do it. And uh, you know what, if they don't try something different, then we're going to win it again, because we know how to do it, and we've done it against a better team. Of course, uh, Portugal were a much better side than they were in the opening fixture. They were, with that uh, result in the opening uh, day, they were forced to make some changes in their starting lineup and they appeared a much better and much improved team in the process of the tournament and that's why they reached uh, the final but they didn't try something different.
2: It is not a classic. Portugal are way off the pace. And as the hour mark approaches, Greece will win a corner.
1: That goal alone, that goal of the final, and if you, if you pay attention to the, the Greek uh, crowd behind uh, the goal, they're, they're all celebrating even before the corner kick. Everybody, everybody, if you watch the video celebrations of uh, in Greece, everybody is waiting for that corner and that, that goal to go into go, the, the goal to go into the net, because everybody is sure. Oh, we've won a corner. It's the, it's the second half. Okay, we're scoring right now. Right now, just Let, watch. We're gonna score in the in the next five seconds. And it went in because we, everybody in Greece was sure that it's gonna go inside. Everybody. So, who's to blame
2: for this?
4: Definitely, Scolari does get criticism. and did get criticism for failing to adapt but then you can kind of look at it and you know greece played exactly the same way the whole way through fair play to greece you know they had a game plan it was just really difficult to break down that that game was always going to be basically who scored first would have a great chance of winning it Uh, unfortunately for portugal it was it was greece
2: There it was, a nation in shock, Ronaldo in tears and Greece, Greece are the champions of Europe. This must have been the most extraordinary moment.
1: The most intense moment was in the semi-final. Really? I have to be honest with you. In the final, we were were a little little bit lost. I mean, it was the moment in the semi-final and that goal was so huge that everything after that, were a little bit, you know, lower as as intensity. The moment, the big moment is in the semi-final. I remember when at the final whistle, in the semi-final, after the 90 minutes, during the interval uh, between the, the start of the extra time, I actually burst into tears and I was crying for about, I don't know, two or three minutes. And I couldn't stop. And my father and my friends, you know, they were all worried and saying, "You know what's happened? What's what's wrong with you?" And I was telling them, "You know what? I can't. I cannot take it. <laughs> I cannot take <laughs> because I'm thinking that we're gonna win it and go to the final. And I cannot help uh, hold my tears back. And then, and then I'm thinking that we're gonna lose it. And then I cannot hold my tears back. And it, this is too much for me. And then we won it. And in the final, it was." I was not stressed, to be honest with you. I was happy to be there, delighted to be there, in wonderment that I'm watching Greece play in the finals of the European Championship. But it was all a celebration and jubilation that, you know what, we're in the final, we're singing our hearts out for 90 minutes and we're going to win it. Just like that. Just like that. When I came back everybody was looking and talking to me with envy and jealousy because they said, said, you were there, you were there when we became the European champions. And then, five minutes uh, later in the conversation, I was the jealous one because I realized that I had missed the greatest party of all time. Because everybody was telling stories about what was happening and you, you have to imagine 11 million people all together in a great party with, <laughs> with no restraints whatsoever. I mean, the whole country was burning. There were CDs and songs with the Greek commentary. They were actually dancing for the whole summer to songs that were they were made based uh, with lyrics of the Greek radio commentary.
2: And that was the 2004 European Championships. Join us next time when the tournament is split between Austria and Switzerland and England opt to give it a miss. Your experts were Elko Born for the Netherlands, David Schirmack for the Czech Republic, Raphael Honigstein for Germany, Lindsay Hooper for England, James Horncastle for Italy, Themis Kassaris for Greece, Tom Cundert for Portugal, and Julian Laurent for France. The History of the European Championships was an Athletic Media Company production. You can subscribe to The Athletic and listen to the rest of the series ad-free by using the promo code theathletic.com forward slash history. The History of the European Championships was written and presented by me, Ian McIntosh, and produced by Abby Patterson.